Talking Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leaves Podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza as always. Nick, we have a bunch to get to today. We last recorded right after the Matt Murray trade, but before free agency. So I'll let you pick the topic. We can start with Kelly Arncroke. We can start with Obi Cabell. We got Victor Mete, Jordy Ben, Adam Gaudet. Take your pick here. You Did you mention Victor Mete? I did. Of course. You did. Okay, good. I thought that should have been the first guy you mentioned, but... Uh, as much as I want to talk about the fourth liners, because that is that is kind of my thing, but uh, let's start with Cal Yarncrow. Obviously, that's the most, I, I think that seems to be the most kind of relevant signing out of all of them. Like, we know he's going to be in the lineup. Uh, he's signed to a, a four-year deal, just over $2 million. So, definitely a player that, you know, I, I don't think either one of us was very surprised with that Kyle Dubas, out of all people, signed him, uh, former agent. He was he was actually Cal Yonkro's agent back in the day, so yeah. What do you think of him, Kevin? Like I know you've he, you've he's definitely been on your short list for for quite a while now. So so what do you think of the signing? Yeah, I was interested in him at the deadline, but Calgary ended up paying a ton for him. I think it was a second, a third, and a seventh. You know, there was a little bit of retention involved there, but still, like a second, third, and a seventh to rent Yarncroke is a little bit much. I don't think he's as good as Calgary thought he did. Obviously, he didn't have the best season or half season in Calgary. No goals in 17 games, one goal in 12 playoff games. But this is a guy that's been all around for quite a while. And he's someone who's played 75 playoff games in his career. He's played more playoff games than almost every leave. I, th- I think he's actually played the most of any leave. Have to check Giordano. Uh, but he's a guy that's he's kind of like the definition of average, if that makes sense. Like... He is a third-line player, right? And he can kind of be a Swiss Army knife, a guy that can play anywhere. He could play on the penalty kill. He could play on the second power play unit in the bumper. He's got a decent shot. He's someone who could maybe play in the top six with Tavares and Nylander as more of a defensive forward. Obviously, I, I, I'd like someone better there. Uh, but he's also someone that could be the third-line center if someone like Kampf got hurt. He's someone that could replace Mikhaev a little bit and, and play with Engvall and and in camp and a more of a defensive zone start checking line role. He can center the fourth line. He can provide a little bit of scoring to the fourth line. I mean, if you look at just his, his hockey DB page, you see a lot of 30 point seasons, 28, 26. He's never hit 40. I think, you know what you're getting here. You're not getting a star, but for 2.1 million, I think it's pretty good value there. Obviously they, they compensated a bit on term, but the way it's structured the deal, while there is a 10-team no-trade clause, uh, with the signing bonuses, like that last that's last year, once you pay the bonus, it's going to be league minimum uh, in terms of actual salary. So I think it's more of a three-year commitment. Even after two years, you could probably trade him if you wanted to. Uh, I, I think it's it's probably a sign that Alex Kerfoot's going, given uh, his similar skill set with, with Swiss Army Knife. I don't think Yaron Crook is as good as Kerfoot, but... He's a good third-line player, and you need those types uh, if you want it to be successful, right? Like, I think the Leafs kind of needed a depth option, especially if they were playing a move Kerfoot. So, yeah, I like I like the deal. I like his versatility. What did, what did you think of him? I liked him, too. I think this is just such a Kyle Dubas type of player. Like, I know he gets the 
this kind of the narrative that he likes these small skilled players, which I'm sure he does. But Kyle Yonkro to me is just the type of guy that like a, a, a prototypical Kyle Dubas player. He's smart. He's kind of, like you said, he's average in kind of a lot of different areas. Um, he he's he excels in like really random things like penal, penalty differentials, something we know that the Leafs look at. Um, but like you said, like he can play all positions. He's going to be on the penalty kill. Uh, he can play a little bit on the power play. I I don't love the term, like considering he's 30 years old. Um, but like you said, like it's a 2.1. I'm not going to complain too much about it. I think if anything, like they've been paying... Uh, Alex Kerfa 3.5 to kind of do something similar. So you just hope that Yarncrow's not going to, you know, over the course of his contract, he's not going to be dropping in his ability too much. Um, but, you know, I don't think at 2.1 you can really worry about it too much. Um, I like the deal in general. We'll see where he goes. I think he's one of those types of players where, you know, like you said, you can put him anywhere. So there might be a little bit of upside if, if you put him with a player like Tavares or Nylander in the top six in terms of offense. Uh, but like you said, I, I don't think we should really expect it. Like, like I'm just looking at his his most common teammates last year. Like he's played with some pretty good players. Like playing with Yanni Gord quite a bit in Calgary. He played with uh, Blake Coleman a little bit. So he, it's not like he's been you know given really tough zone starts or anything like that. He's kind of all over the map with that, just because of how versatile he is. So I like it overall. I think if I had to give it a grade, I'd give it like a B or a B plus. But so it's not really a, a knock out of the park, but I think these are the types of trades you, or types of signings you need for a winning team. Yeah, I think I first noticed him. Uh, well, obviously he's been around so long that I obviously we've known about him for quite a while. Nashville used to be a very good team that made the finals one year. I think everyone's seen him play probably more than they realize. But I watched quite a bit of Seattle this season, and he was on a line with Yanni Gord, who I think is very a very underrated player even still. And Colin Blackwell, Leafs legend. And <laughs> Yarnico was on the left side. Um, and I just love that line. Like, it's such a good defensive line. They got a lot of energy. Uh, Yarnico's got a surprisingly good shot. And, you know, maybe I didn't give him enough credit looking at the Hockey DB page here because, you know, while he hasn't hit 40 points before, he has, like, the games played hasn't always been that high. So, like, 17-18, he's got 35 points, but only 68 games. So so he was on pace for over 40 that year. 2019-2020, uh, 34 points and 64. So he's, again, on pace for over 40. And then with Nashville, 2020-2021, uh, he's over the point, half point per game mark. And then with Seattle, he was over the half point per game mark. So it was really just Calgary that uh, the numbers weren't there. I guess I, it's, you know, he has played with surprisingly good players like Gord, Blake Coleman. Uh, he actually played a little bit with Philip Forsberg in Nashville as well. Um, he hasn't really had success in the playoffs, like four goals in 75 career games. I guess that's a bit of a concern, but he is someone who tends to, you know, play the checking line roles come come playoff time. Um, and I do, I have seen him shoot the puck quite a bit, and he's got a pretty good shot. I think he's actually pretty good in the slot. I think the Leafs could kind of use that. Um because I, like, especially come playoff time, I've been a little bit frustrated with the Leafs' lack of shooting talent. Obviously, with Matthews, it's the first guy you think of. But beyond that, they don't have a ton of good shooters. And I'm not calling him, like, a star shooter. But he's, I would say he's average to slightly above average. I think the playmaking's not great. Um, but he's a good defensive forward who uh, could put some in the net. And I know the term wasn't great, but I think they compensated on term in, in terms of the, the cap hit. So... 
Uh, I do think that it's a deal they can get out of in the last year or two. I, I don't expect him to be a lead for four years. I think he'll probably be a lead for three years, maybe even two years, depending on how, how he looks. But I was looking at Evolving Hockey tweeted out a graphic, and it was expected cap hit by their model versus actual cap hit. And the players that really stood out, Chris Letang, Brian Rust, those are guys that I think took discounts and also took a little bit more term. Mark Giordano stood out like crazy, obviously, under yeah. million. And then Yarncroke was was right there, like one of the big surprises. I think they had it. See, it's a bit confusing. They I've had him around that. the 4.5, but they also yeah. thought he was going to be one of the worst signings of the offseason. So I think 2.1 is a little bit of a bargain. I think he's probably a 2.5 to $3 million player. I wouldn't have given him three, but you know, maybe on a one-year deal he gets three. Uh, or you get him like for 2.5. So I do think you got a little bit of cap space uh, by giving him term, and you can get out of it later on. That's my my guess in terms of what they're thinking. Yeah, I think the salary definitely helps. Um, so when that happened, there was some tweets that I saw from around Leafs Twitter about... I just want to quickly address this, and, and I'll ask you the question. Um, pretty much saying, well, you, you didn't sign Campbell because he's 30 years old into a long-term contract, but now all of a sudden you're signing Yarn Crow, who's kind of like that middle six forward for term, and he's 30 years old. So, Kevin, like, what would be your difference between those two two signings, and do you think there's any correlation whatsoever? No, there's not really any anything to that. Like, Yarn Crow's pretty risk fr- I'll call him risk-free. Like, mm-hmm. if you put him down to the minors, if it all went wrong, he'd... You could bury a billion, like 1.1, right? So you'd have a million dollar cap hit. Obviously, Campbell is a lot more risk with five years and five million. Uh, if you put him down the minors, you're still going to have a $3.9 million cap hit. Uh, I think just like a third line players are going to be much more stable, predictable than goaltenders. Uh, it's a year less. It's not even half the cap hit of Campbell. Uh, again, I don't think I'll be like, my guess is that he's not here all four years. I think he's going to get traded at some point during this contract. But I don't really see any reason to compare it to Jack Campbell. Like I think that's just a whole another, a whole another question. I'm not sure I wanted to give Campbell five by five. Um, maybe if it was like four years, I'd think about it. But five by five is a bit of a. Uh, I I think it's a little bit too much for my liking. I don't know. I just think that's a whole separate question. Then. Yep. Uh, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's why I gave you the question. Uh, <laughs> but I saw that. I saw that on Twitter a little bit, kind of comparing the two. I also don't see any correlation whatsoever. Goaltending is a completely different position in itself. Uh, like you said, from from year to year, from from just from month to month, goaltending is so unpredictable. I say that every podcast. I feel so giving term to any goalie, especially one over 30 years old, is is just risky in itself. So um, I don't see the correlation there. But let's move on. I think Kelly Yonkroak's... I I got a question He's got some more. Okay, go for it. Related related to Kelly Yonkroak. So when that signing happened, it became very, very clear that the Leafs were going to make a trade, right? I think before that signing, before the 2.1 cap hit, you could argue... You know, maybe they'll find a way to fit everyone in. Maybe they'll just be a very similar team to last year. But once he signed, it's they're they're over the cap, right? Like they don't have enough room to to re-sign Sandine. I was just yep. looking at cap friendly uh, with a projected roster, assuming one extra defenseman, uh, because they have seven NHL defensemen. None of those guys are going to the minors. Uh, they have like 
6,000 in cap space or something like that for Sandine. So something has to give. Uh, I think the, the names that we've seen out there are, are Alex Kerfoot, Justin Hall, and then you see the odd Jake Muzzin. So I want to get your percent chance that Alex Kerfoot is traded before the start of the regular season. I would say 65 to 70. Okay. Um, if you if you ask me before Yarn Crow, something that you know we did talk about, I would say maybe like 30%, but I think it's, it's definitely increased since Yarn Crow came just because of how similar of a player he is, and he's just cheaper. Um, yeah, I'd say around there. Okay. I'd say, I'd probably say 80. I was going to say... I say even like 55 60 before the Yarncrook deal just cuz the way his deal structure he's got one year left. I don't really I prefer to trade him rather than letting him walk for nothing. But what's your I I guess what's your what's your odds that they're going to trade Justin Hall? Right now, I would say 30 to 40 percent like I, I they can get it done well it depends on when sandine what sandine signs for but i, I can't see them the, the problem is is if they sign if they trade justin hall and right now you have timothy lilligren and you have tj brody on your right side lilligren hasn't played top four minutes you know in, in a in a long sample at all in his nhl career tj brody obviously he has so, but Justin Hall, we've seen him play in the top four, and we've seen him play pretty good. So, I think if you trade Justin Hall and you're still not sure what the situation is with Sandine, I think you kind of put yourself in a, in a problem. And I don't see the Leafs really doing that, especially with how much they seem to like Justin Hall based on his usage. They obviously protected him in the expansion draft. Um, his numbers weren't that bad last year, despite some some pretty big mistakes. Um, that were well documented, but I, I don't see them trading Hall unless they know that what Sandine's contract is going to be. So I'll say thirty percent right now. Yeah, I think it's I think it's actually that low as well. I think I did a poll and it was pretty. Kerfoot was the favorite. Like more people thought Kerfoot was going to get traded, but I think a lot of people think Justin Hall is going to get traded. And I'm not sure I get it. Like I've I've seen some of the bigger insiders. I'm not sure who. I don't know if it was Freeman or Chris Johnston. Obviously, no reason to doubt them, but like Hall's been in their top four almost the entire season, right? Like he didn't play that much third pairing. I know he was out for a couple playoff games, but all in all, they seem to kind of like Justin Hall at a two million dollar cap hit. And trading him alone isn't going to be really enough to get uh, a full roster if you want to have an extra. I think they want to have seven defensemen. That's my guess, especially when you go on the road. I'm, I'm expecting them to have you know one extra. So. I don't know if it's like my guess is that they just re-sign Sandine. We'll see what that costs, and then they roll seven defensemen with a bit of a a bit of a rotation, right? Like uh, Jake Muzzin's often injured, but then you could always just kind of rotate Hall, Lilligren, Sandine, even Giordano. Give him the odd night off throughout the lineup. You, you'll probably have injuries. I'd rather do that than um, than play Jordy Ben. I don't know who's first up, if it's Mete or Ben. We'll get to that in a minute. But <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure I see Justin Hall getting traded. Uh, I, I think if you trade him, you know, may, like the problem is is that, as you said, we don't really know what the right side would look like. I don't know if we, we trust Sandine on the right side. I don't know if the Leafs would. I don't know if Giordano could play the right side. I don't know if you put Riley on the right side. I'm not really sure how it works. So I think Kerfoot's, I'm going to say 80% plus is traded because... 
if you if you don't trade Kerfoot, you almost have to trade two guys, right? Like, I, I don't think mm-hmm. Muzzin's going anywhere with the no trade. I think they would have traded him by now if they were going to go down that route. Um, I don't think, you know, one of the big four is getting traded. I don't think is getting traded, given that he just signed. Uh, I can't really see any other option that, that works other than Kerfoot. So I think Kerfoot's gone. I'll say, like, 80, even 90%. And then I think Hall... Like, I think the decision to trade Hall is a little bit different. I don't think you do it for cap reasons. I think you kind of do it for, you know, what's the return? And then if you could get a really good deal on a free agent or something, maybe then you you go out and get and trade Hall. But I don't think they're... I, I think their cap move has to be Kerfoot because Hall's not going to be enough. Yeah, it, it doesn't move the needle. I like how as you were talking there, the percentage was slowly creeping up. I was expecting an 100 to get to drop there. <laughs> well, by the end of the I podcast think, maybe i thought kerfoot's gonna be traded last off season or the expansion draft was was also a thing and that never happened but just the way the deal structured 3.5 million and then uh he's at league minimum salary now the design bonus has been paid i think they're gonna trade him for a pick that's my guess i was thinking of some deals that would involve like trevor moore for example or uh frederick Gaudreau on Minnesota was the other guy I mentioned, guys that make under $2 million. Uh, and the logic would be, you know, it doesn't cost much for a team to retain salary on Kerfoot, right? He's only making, he's making under 800000 And it could also help a team get to the cap floor, uh, like yeah. Anaheim, for example. So I could see that happening where, you know, you trade Kerfoot, someone retains 50% because it's not all that much, an actual salary. They get a pick, like a mid-round pick, and then he gets flipped to a more of a contender at a very good cap hit of one seven five and the Leafs get like a second or it might be like a third and something else a third and a prospect it might just be a prospect I don't know if they're going to get a second uh it, you know if I'm another team I'm just probably looking at like adding a guy like Danton Heinen or Milano and keeping my pick but Connor Brown did go for a second I think that's fairly like a fairly good comparable for Kerfoot Although Brown did sign an extension. So it's tough to say, but I do think, uh, you know, for the right player like Trevor Moore, if you could do like a creative deal, I would take it. If you get a right good prospect, I would take it. But I think you take the pick, you use the pick at the deadline, and then you go and you use whatever extra cap space you have to, to add like a Milano or a Tynan or might have to be someone cheaper even. Uh, but I wouldn't mind... Uh, I think I'd I'd like to kind of stock up some picks so we have some currency for the deadline. I could see them also. I could definitely see a pick. Um, I could also see them doing something similar to what they did with uh, Andreas Janssen. They virtually needed the cap that that off season. They used it pretty much to sign TJ Brody, uh, but they signed him for someone they felt could be a, a younger version of Janssen and uh, Joey Anderson. Obviously, we haven't seen that come to fruition, but. Um, I could see them doing that, like getting a like an AHL guy that has some NHL experience or they feel like could be taking the next step, uh, just like a younger version of what Kerfoot is right now. Maybe, but obviously Anderson hasn't worked out. He's interesting because he's not, like he has to go through waivers next year. Um, and I don't know, like it, it all depends on the player, obviously. It could be anyone. But I feel like the pick, like, Unless this guy's going to be, like, a, they're pretty confident he's going to be a top-nine player, I'd rather get the pick because, you know, they, they need some capital to spend at the deadline. They don't have their second-round pick for next year. 
They do have two thirds, um, but they also don't have their fourth next year. And you know, if a Giordano trade or something like that comes up, where you get someone for two seconds, uh, I'd like to have a little bit more currency to have some flexibility to offer. Right, that way you don't have to give up your first necessarily. Um, and then if you do have a second, maybe it makes them more likely to trade a first. Yeah. So I think the pick is probably the highest likelihood, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they also go with a player, like a younger player. Yeah, we'll see, it's though. just who's who's giving up a good player for Kerfoot, though, for one year of him. That's the only... Like, I think the problem with him is he makes he doesn't really make sense for cap teams unless you're going to do that, you know, the flip if you're 50% retained. Maybe they do. Uh, but for rebuilding teams, obviously the, the low salary is attractive. But the problem is is that those teams are probably on his no trade, a lot of them. And then a lot of them aren't contending, so they don't really want to pay for a rental, right? Like, I don't think... Even though he make, doesn't make anything, I don't think, like, Anaheim or Buffalo or anyone's given up a second for him because they're rebuilding, right? So yeah. I don't know. Like, it's a bit of a tricky deal. Um, I'm wondering if they're trying to sign Sandine first. I'm guessing they are. And then they'll kind of know how much they have left to spend. And then, you know, it frees up some options, right? Like, maybe we could trade Kerfoot for a million-and-a-half-dollar player or a two-million-dollar player. They know exactly how much. Uh, because I guess the only issue is if you go out and you trade him for like a Trevor Moore, I don't know if the Leafs would have to add or what would happen there. Um, it's just one year for one year. But if you do that, do you have enough for Sandine, right? You're kind of, I don't know if you have, I guess you could I'll trade Hall if you really. Right. I mean, I mean yeah, there's no salary cap, right? Hall, like, there's guess. no salary cap in the off season. They can definitely just sign Sandine and figure it out. Well, if they traded for someone and then, and then Sandine took more than the space they have, they'd have to trade Hall, basically. Like, I don't think there's... I don't really see any other guys that can move. Um, but I guess another question is, what do you think's happening with Wayne Simmons and Kyle Clifford? Do you think they're both on the <laughs> Leafs next year? I know Clifford could go to the Marlies, but I, I guess I'm, I guess my guess would be Clifford to the Marlies, Simmons on the NHL roster. But doesn't it seem like they might trade Wayne Simmons? Like, I don't know. Let's get into the next guy, Nicholas Obey-Cabell. Because I well, feel like he might. There's take definitely that a. Role. Ooh, I, I well, I I actually really like the Obel Obey Cobell. It's a bit of a tongue twister, but I like that signing a lot more. I liked it on the day that the, it it happened. I I kind of thought of it as a low risk, like decent reward signing at one point one, um, but I definitely think he's going to get a look on that checking role checking line with uh, David Camp. When you look at how he played last year with Colorado, he was 38% in terms of ozone starts. He was over 50% at expected goals, which is great. Um, I think he has some sneaky offensive upside, though. Like, you look at his 5-on-5 scoring, um, 22 points at 5-on-5, which was just over a 2 points per 60, which is kind of like just below John Tavares. I'm definitely not saying he's John Tavares in terms of 5-on-5 scoring, but... I do think there could be something there. I like his shot. I like how active he is off the puck. He's quick. He's he's tenacious. Um, I think at worst, you get a guy that's pretty good on that checking line. I would say that, you know, if, if there was anyone out of these signings who could potentially, you know, come close or, or even be in the conversation of giving you Michael Bunting type uh, value, I think it would be Obey Cabell just because of that five on five scoring. I, I would love to see him play on the left side with Tavares and Nylander and see what he can do. I wouldn't put my money that he'll, you know, come close to the, the five on five type of, you know, amazing season that Michael Bunting had, but 
uh, I could definitely see him kind of fit in a top six role as just a, a puck retriever and a puck winner and a guy who could finish his chances. So again, I wouldn't put my money on that, but I think there is some sneaky upside to, to the signing. Yeah, I, I've seen him. So I watched him with Colorado. I also like the signing. Like for $1 million, why not? Uh, that's a variable salary. You can send him to the AHL if he struggles and you don't get any sort of cap hit. Uh, from what I saw, I think puck retriever is a good word to, to describe him. Um, someone who's kind of ferocious is a good word. Tenacious. And then he's also quite strong. So, like, he does have the attributes. I mean, he's not as good as Zach Hyman, but we've all kind of seen Zach Hyman get on the forecheck, out-muscle his opponent, win the puck back. He's quite good at that. Um, definitely not Zach Hyman. Definitely, like, a, almost like a dollar store Zach Hyman. Uh, but... I, I do like uh, the work ethic. I think he's going to be a fan favorite as a result. He is someone who will drop the gloves from time to time uh, as well, which is, is nice, especially if you're not going to play Simmons or Clifford. Um, and then one thing I was looking at is I'll look at uh, Evolving Hockey. They have kind of expected goals of replacement. So, you know, he, he's, he did surprisingly well at even strength. Um, numbers look really good offensively, look really good defensively. Penalty dip differential is not great, but, you know, it's not terrible either. It's not Nick Ritchie. Um, so <laughs> I think there's some good upside here as, like, a fourth-line type. I don't really like his transition skill or his offense, uh, but he will go to the net, and, and if you have a good playmaker, uh, it could help. So I, I, w- I haven't penciled in as, like, the fourth-line right-winger. Uh, I wouldn't mind trying him on the third-line role. I prefer... Uh, probably Kelly Yarncroke there with with Camp and Engvall, but he is someone that could probably step into that role. He didn't play big minutes with Colorado. Um, he didn't play like he's he didn't play power play. Didn't play penalty kill. Fourth line five on five. So he he was kind of playing like six seven minutes a night, I believe. Um, but he is a, an interesting player at one million. I will say um, we'll see what he could do. Obviously, as you said, Nick, very low risk and a little bit of a reward. I don't know if the offense is is that much but who knows right like michael bunting really surprised us last year so yeah we'll, we'll see it's 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 tough to project when guys haven't given been given a big opportunity i think that was the the mystery behind bunting like he, he had a low amount of nhl games he had high shooting percentages playing with pretty good players in in arizona so it was like well if you give him good players over a large sample can he do it in the end like clearly he can with with obey cabell it, it's a bit different because He's had a pretty big sample in, in the NHL. Like he played 70 games last year with Colorado. He played in the playoffs, but he was under 40% ozone starts. He had good po- uh, point production given those ozone starts, given the competition he had, given the line mates he was given. Still good players. He played with Alex Newhook, but obviously in a fourth line role. So that's kind of where the mystery is. So More third line with Newhook. Like Newhook's got a lot of skill. I think. Yeah, he's definitely better than your regular third or fourth liner. Yeah, like he's not... I don't think he really fits in the top six. Like, unless... I don't know, unless you really want to do a balanced approach and throw him with Tavares Nylander and, like, somehow have a really strong scoring third and fourth lines. I don't know how you do it with this team, but I think he's bottom six just based on, like, watching him, watching the kind of the, the lack of offensive skill, I'll say. Uh, but I really like the work ethic, and he is someone that can go to the net and kind of, you know, get to the dirty areas. So, I don't know. I'm sure 82-game season, he'll probably get a shot at some yeah. point with a guy like Nylander, whether it's 
him going up to the top six or Nylander going down to the third line. Um, we'll see, but you know, for for a million dollars, why not? Like, take the chance. I think he's. I definitely think he's better than Simmons. So, <laughs> you know, playoff lineup. I'm thinking the Leafs get a forward at the deadline. Cabell probably moves down. I I kind of have Cabell as either if he plays well, maybe he's on the camp line um, and, and trying to repeat the success that Mikhaev had there last year, or if not, you know, a defensively responsible guy that'll throw a hit. Uh, good worker, energy fourth line. You know, can't really yeah. go wrong. I, I, I think an Engvall, Camp, Obey Cabell shutdown line, I think that's pretty good. I like I like Yaron Crook a little bit there, just because of the transition a little bit. Like, he's not that good in transition either, but we'll see. I mean, yeah. with Yaron Crook is one of those guys who fits everywhere. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he could be the fourth line center, and you could kind of have a better fourth line, or... If, if you don't have a top six winger, I could see him going up, given that he's yeah. kind of played in the top six on other teams. Um, Aaron Croak's offensive numbers are better than I realized. As I'm talking about him and seeing the numbers, I'm like, eh. <laughs> but, yeah, okay, let's get to the last forward they got, Adam Gaudet, uh, a player who has kind of bounced around a bit. He was on Vancouver, he was on Chicago, he's on Ottawa. Hasn't really found an NHL job yet. I know Dubas was talking about his play at the World Championships. Uh, I saw something about how he wasn't able to put on weight early in his career. Um, mm. So a bit of a, uh, I think he's a guy with a lot more offensive upside. Like the skill's always been there. He was kind of a high pro, higher profile prospect. Uh, he's someone who's played center. I think he started his career at center, now over to the wing. Again, another guy, league minimum, not a ton of risk. But do you see him as a leaf or a Marley? What's your prediction for opening night? For opening night, I will say... He is not in the starting lineup. Uh, Gaudet is definitely the kind of the definition of low risk. Like it's low risk. Like if it works, it works great. If not, then whatever. Um, like he's just been on bad teams. And like you look at his in terms of like shot attempt differential, expected goal differential, it's pretty bad. Um, he's been a player that, you know, like he's been started in the offensive zone. Like that's what he brings to the game. I don't know. To me, it's just it, it's kind of an odd signing. But again, like it's 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 so low risk. Like whatever at this point, it's just kind of a shot at the dark. Um, it's kind of like an based on the eye test, though. Like when you watch him play, he's got like quite a bit of skill. He can make you know decently high end plays. Um, I actually watched like one or two, pretty much his shifts at the World Championships, um, and he looks pretty good. Like he had six goals in eight games. Um, he was playing with much better players than he's used to playing in Ottawa uh, and he was able to make some pretty big plays and, and score some big goals for them there. So um, I thought it was interesting that, that Dubas said that they watched him at the world championships and thought something was there um, just because of how small of a sample it is. But I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. I would say my expectation for Godet's pretty low, uh, but I would be really pleasantly surprised if he plays well, like, he he's got some awesome goal celebrations. I don't know if you've noticed them. I was gonna mention that he's got like world junior type energy uh, goal celebrations. So if we could get him with like paired with Austin Matthews, we might have some pretty good uh, pretty good goal celebrations next year. Well, the Jays have Zach Collins on their roster right now, and he's the third catcher, and like he plays maybe once a week, and he gets like one inning. And his thing is that after the after they win, he tweets out the letter W with a couple explanation marks. And that's basically all he does right now, Zach Collins. And <laughs> if Gaudet could just just be there for the goal celebrations, maybe he's worth it. Uh, 
Uh, I think it's, as you said, low risk. We'll give him a tryout. Um, I think he's going to have to win a spot at a camp. I'm not 100% sure who he's going to be competing with. Uh, Dennis Malgin is back. I think that's a guy that, you know, Malgin, for what it's worth, has barely played the AHL. Like, that guy's been an NHL player. So I think Malgin will try to win a job over Gadet. We'll see who wins. Uh, Gadet, he has a lot of skill. Like, he's, he's someone that would probably be on the second power play unit if he does win a job. Um, he's got some decent playmaking, some good hands. I think the, the issue with him is his numbers are almost like Galchenyuk-like, um, mm-hmm. which is not a compliment. Part of that might be that, you know, early in his career, he's taking a top-nine center role, probably wasn't a top-nine center and was kind of getting caved in on bad teams. Maybe he has more success as kind of an offensively focused winger. Um, but... Just looking at his like on ice impacts uh, over the last three years, doesn't grade out well offensively. Doesn't grade out well like very poorly defensively. Um, so I don't see much there. But again, he's still so young. He still has a chance to, you know, maybe he looks better on the wing. Maybe he looks good in the in the preseason. You give him a tryout. I think my expectations for him are very low, but it's a flyer. So I don't know. We'll see what he does. Um, again, I I don't think he'll be in the playoff lineup. Would be my guess. Um, I think I'll guess that he is in the opening night lineup as like a fourth line type, but we'll see. I mean, there's a lot they of guys. So it's many guys. Simmons, Clifford, Malligan, Anderson's not uh, waivers eligible. Guy like Robertson or Steves could win a job. They're gonna have quite a bit of competition there for the for the fourth line. Yeah, I would say more than last year. I think they have more guys that could potentially be in the lineup than last year. I think they probably had. Eh, do I want to say better depth when Nick Ritchie was there? But no, I think with was, Cash, like Spencer Cash was kind of a lock, right? Like they had yeah, more locks. Yeah. I think I think it is interesting. Like let let's talk about Simmons real quick. Like do you do you see him getting traded or do you see him being the thirteenth forward or or in the lineup? I don't think they're gonna have a thirteenth forward. I think they're gonna have twelve forwards. Would be my guess and and seven defensemen. So it's um, virtually I, either waivers or or sorry Marleys or trade. Well, I don't think he's going to the Marlies. I mean, I think they'd trade him before that um, and give him a chance to play elsewhere. But I think he'll be in the... Like, my guess is that he's in the lineup just because he's almost always been in the lineup. Um, but they seem to like Kyle Clifford. Like, I remember, obviously, Kyle Clifford's playoffs didn't go well, but uh, Dubis... Not Dubis. Keith had a, quite a bit of praise for Clifford, thinking, like, his best fourth line has him on it. And... I do think Clifford brings a little bit more to the table defensively than Simmons, so uh, I'm kind of interested to see. My guess would be Clifford, Marley, Simmons as the 12th forward, but like I don't know if I love a line with Simmons and Obeka Bell on it. Like there's not that's not a lot of transition skill. Um, I think I'd rather give Simmons his role to you know just make Obeka Bell the fourth line right winger or make even Joey Anderson someone like that. Uh, I do, obviously, he's a big fan favorite. I, I like him. I want him to succeed. But, you know, I don't mind Simmons, I guess, for the regular season. But, man, I don't I don't know if I could put him back in a playoff game. Like, he's, he's not good offensively. He's not good defensively. Doesn't kill penalties. Um, if, if they have Obey, Cabell, and Simmons, you have two guys that don't really play on either special teams. So, I don't know what's going to yeah. give there. I, I see Obey, Cabell a little bit higher. I just see him with Camp. Um like Camp and Engvall or Camp and Yarkrow. I don't know. We'll see, though. 
Well, we gotta go yeah, through, they, they still got at some point. Nick Robertson's gonna make the team. I'm assuming, yeah. like either at the start of the year or mid season. I what? I guess they I'm got a bunch ask. of guys. It's a big mess right now, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Um, a lot of players, but I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have. Uh, but regardless, they're over the cap, so we're we're gonna see a trade soon, hopefully, and and that'll kind of then we can kind of start talking about the lineup. Let, let's get through the rest of the guys. Um, let's go with a everything leagues podcast favorite victor mete you and i have watched him live uh back when we back when they were in the ohl and marner was on the nights with him uh what did you think of victor mete yeah obviously he's a guy that um grew up as a big Leafs fan grew up in the gta um good to have him for that reason he's a phenomenal skater he's very very small but a phenomenal skater Someone who made the NHL at a, at a very young age, and he went back to London just for one season, and then even though he's a fourth-round pick, he was Shea Weber's defense partner to start <laughs> that season just like that. So he's someone that could give you NHL minutes. Like, I think he's a he's a guy, he's a really good first call-up. I'm guessing he's going to the Marlies, but he's also someone that could get claimed on waivers, right? So I'm kind of interested, like, whether it's Gaudet, Mete, Jordy Ben. Uh, I'm kind of interested to see what the plan is. Are they all plan to be on the marlies or are they all like they're gonna lose at least one to waivers they might lose all three with the leafs luck um <laughs> but he, he's someone that can play either side he played the right side with london um you know a smaller guy i don't think you want him as i wouldn't mind him as a sixth as like a like he's got pretty good on ice impacts but you kind of want to shelter him given his like he's very very small um not really a great net front defender, but an exceptional transition defender. So somebody give offensive zone starts to, uh, it's hard to get in the zone on him. He's not really all that flashy offensively, but he's someone who wins races and just kind of gets the puck to his teammates and then gets out of the way. So yeah, like I've always, I've always liked Mete. I, I hope he got, carves out a niche for himself here, but I also wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he's, he, they try to sneak up to the Marlies and he gets claimed. So let's hope, let's hope he has a long, successful Leafs career rather than zero games played yeah to me it is I I really like the signing I just like the player I, I used to love watching him in the OHL um even even when we used to watch live like he was just so fast he used to cover the ice so well um it, it's weird with him like this is his fifth or sixth season in the NHL um 17-18 was his first season with Montreal he played 49 games that year and then, obviously, the past two seasons he's been with Ottawa. So it's just weird considering how young he is. Like, he's, he's 24 years old. Um, so I, I'm hoping that, you know, Mete goes down to the Marlies and, and kind of gets some development. I know he's 24. He's not 18 anymore. But I, I kind of see him as, like, a bit of a project with the Leafs. Like, if, if you can keep him with the Marlies, give him some big ice time, you know, kind of work on his defensive deficiencies, how he can use his his uh obviously a smaller size in the nhl again to be a little bit more effective at using his speed then i think there could be something there but i just like how young he is i think it's low risk again i don't see him obviously penciled into into the top six but um if he's there with the marlies and he can he can kind of play with some of their younger defensemen there i think that'd be good yeah i don't see him really as a development like i think his only issue is lack of strength i don't think he's ever gonna really i think he's kind of done getting stronger like he's just a really slight guy but um he is someone that i think is an nhl defenseman like i think he's a depth nhl defenseman so 
if you have that on the Marlies, you're you're very happy. Someone you can kind of come up if needed. I think he's better than someone like a Carl Dahlstrom, for example. Um, I think he'll be an elite AHL defenseman if he does make it through. Yeah. Um, the other guy is Jordy Bendick. Not a guy with great on-ice impacts. He's a guy that hasn't played in the AHL in like a decade, I believe, uh, apart from maybe a handful of games. Don't have his page up, but do you think he's Marley's bound, or do you think there's a chance he's the seventh? I think there's a chance he's the seventh. Um, yeah. I, I see him more as a seventh defenseman for this particular Leafs team than Mete. Like, I, I had a tweet out. I was kind of just throwing – I was kind of just brainstorming, really. Uh, I'll just read out the tweet. So, so Ben's profile looks somewhat similar to Bogosian before he joined Toronto. Which is what, bad? <laughs> <laughs> somewhat yeah so just a bigger guy that can that can play the right side he put he penalty kills quite a bit and then you look at his five on five impacts like you look at bogosian uh 2018 2019 he was 48 percent 2019 2020 he was 42 percent and then he comes to the leafs and he's 55 percent and we obviously know he was he was pretty good with the with the leafs um i don't know with ben i, I think maybe if he's playing on a better team he probably looks a little better you have a you know he'll probably have a defensive partner like Rasmus Sandin or if he's playing the left side he'll have Timothy Lilligren or or um you know maybe like a TJ Brody that can Giordano or even Giordano yeah that can can kind of help in terms of transition in terms of working to puck up the ice and, and maybe that helps his game I know with Bogosian like he had Travis Dermott and, and Rasmus Sandin to always defer to and Bogosian really kind of picked his spots in terms of when he wanted to move up the ice in term with the puck and and it worked out. So I don't know if the Leafs see Ben in that same light. Maybe they think they can do something similar with with Ben, but we'll see. I mean that the the, the on ice impacts aren't aren't good. So but he's a lefty that can play the right side and he can play the left side. So we'll see. I, I see him as a seventh defenseman that's just gonna be able to come in the lineup and penalty kill and, and defend leads pretty much. Yeah, he's definitely the ideal guy to kind of, you know, sit in the press box a lot, basically. Like, I think even if they trade a Justin Hall, um, you're going to want to play Sandy and Lilligren a ton. So uh, you, you kind of want someone that's not going to like, complain and, and it's going to be fine sitting in the press box. I think Bogosian's probably a good comparison where you, where you want, you know, the on-ice numbers didn't look great, but sometimes as a defensive defenseman, you don't have a ton of control if, if your skill's just defending around your net. Um, if you're on bad teams, uh, it doesn't always work out. So again, like minute, you played for Minnesota this year, Minnesota was a pretty good team and he didn't have very good results. His numbers looked a little bit better last season. Um, but I don't really want him in playoff games. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm going to be complaining if he's ever in a playoff game. That's why I'm hoping he's not the seventh come playoff time. Um, but if you're just looking for a guy that can sit in the press box and, you know, play 25 30 games he's not he's not the worst guy in the world i i haven't seen him enough i think with defensive defensemen you kind of have to takes a little bit longer to get a good read on them um obviously i remember him back when he was playing for dallas and even montreal but he's 34 now and it's tough to say if he's the same guy that he once was i don't know so we'll give him a chance so we'll kind of go into with an open mind and see what he can do but i wouldn't be surprised either way if he was marley's bound i think I think he's Marley's bound if they don't make a trade, if that makes sense. But I do think Justin Hall is a trade option. Even Rasmus Sandin's a trade option. Um, 
So let's get into uh, let's get into the I want to get into the goaltending. Are you ready for goaltending talk? Oh, I don't think we've talked about Samsonov, so that's a pretty good right. segue, okay. I'd say. So I guess all in all, like when you look at their the start of their offseason, when Campbell was under contract and it was just Morazic, and they're going with this high risk tandem. I'll call it a high risk tandem of Murray and Samsonov. Uh, when the Samsonov signing happened, you already knew who the, the the starter was in Matt Murray. So what did you think of going with Samsonov rather than maybe trading for a guy like Aiden Hill or James Reimer or someone who had a little bit of a better season like Eric Comrie? Well, the first thing I'd say is I think I kind of wish they gave him an extra year like Samsonov. I know that he hasn't been very good with, in the last couple of years, but I liked him in the playoffs. I like that he's still quite young. Um, I just don't know what they do. I know he's an RFA next year, so they have some control in terms of um, when he's up next year. But I don't know. I just wish they gave him an extra year. But again, I'm not going to complain about their backup goalie. Um, I it would cost more. That's all. Like, I, I don't, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'd keep the cap hit down and just go one year. That's my preference. Especially if he's an RFA next year. Um, but I guess we'll see. I think this year you have Matt Murray... You know, he was he was pretty good with Ottawa net last year and despite having a small sample. And then you have Sam Sonov that who's a younger goalie that potentially could be your goalie over the next, you know, three, four years, hopefully. So I think they're I think the Leafs are kind of covering their bases and and kind of minimizing their long term risk. But I guess we'll see. Like I, I don't think I'm not I'm hoping that we don't have a Mrazic situation where one of these goalies are just, you know, flat out unplayable. I don't think that's going to happen, but um, it's tough to say. You know, obviously, it's goaltending at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think it's it's a pretty high risk move for a contending team. Like Sam Sonov does not have good results. He's only, he isn't he? Obviously, very young, hasn't played much. He's younger than Eric Schellgren somehow, uh, which I find funny. Um, it just seems like Sam Sonov's been in the league a while, but <laughs> he he hasn't fared out well in terms of either save percentage or goals saved above average. Um, goalies tend to break out a bit later, and this was a guy that was a first-round first, first round pick. Uh, he's got some size. He's got some good athleticism. I'm not 100% sure why he's been struggling. Um, obviously, you know, maybe he gets... Maybe he figures something out this year. He's a guy that's kind of known for a lot of potential. Uh, if he struggles in the first half of the year, I think the Leafs will consider trading for a goalie and, and kind of cutting him loose. There's not a huge penalty there. I'm sure they could get rid of him. My guess was that he was going to sign with a contending team, like a, not a contending, a rebuilding team, whether it be Buffalo, Arizona. I thought they'd give him a little bit more um, in order to, you know, because he's got some long-term upside. I think the, the 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 different outcomes here with him are very significant where I could see him breaking out and end up being their starter, right? Because he's got the first round pick, pedigree he's got you know you just see him play he's pretty big he's got pretty good athleticism you know maybe he has the breakout year and he's the starter right and there's also the chance that his numbers you know are just the same as what they've always been at the nhl level which is quite poor and he's like a below average backup that you know you kind of dread when he plays so it is a bit risky uh i think you know a lot of the risk is probably more towards murray than uh sam sonov i think if you had a really strong starter Sam Sonov might be a bit, little, bit, little bit of a better play. Uh, but 
I think Samsonov wanted to play somewhere where he has a chance to win the job. So uh, maybe that's the reason they got him in the first place. I thought maybe Eric Comrie was going to be a Leaf. He had a really strong second half. Very short track record, but like really good in the second half. Um, so I actually thought it was going to be reversed. I thought Samsonov would go to a team like Buffalo. I thought Comrie would go to a team like Toronto. I think they signed for the same amount. So it's an interesting gamble. Um, it's not a huge risk as long as you know they're willing to make a trade at the deadline if it doesn't work out. But it is something with some reward, right? Like next offseason, who knows? Maybe he's the st- if he has a good season, maybe you get rid of Murray and he's your starter. Maybe, uh, maybe you have a, a very young goaltender coming off a good season that has some pretty considerable trade value and you got him for free, right? So don't mind it. I think it's a little bit interesting, kind of unusual for a contending team to kind of go this route. But any other thoughts on Sam Sona before I kind of get in my rant on Matt Murray? I'll I'll push back a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what the Leafs could have done that wouldn't have involved risk, to be honest, like in the goaltending position. If they signed Campbell, I think there is a ton of risk there, signing that five-on-five. Five. Um, you look at what Colorado did, like they just won the cup. and I think these are more Murray, though, than Samsonov. Like backup-wise, they could have went with like a Aiden. They're all going to have risk because they're backup, but like Aiden Hill – or like a James Reimer, or like even Eric Comrie had a good second half. Like they they're probably more established, whereas I think Sam Sonov's more hasn't really done it yet. I think they I think they like that bit of upside though from Sam oh, Sonov. 100%, 100%. Like, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's why they did that part. Like I think they're they're thinking, okay, we have Matt Murray for next year. Maybe Sam Sonov, best case scenario, he wins the job. But I think Sam Sonov, they're definitely thinking like of the future, or, or you know, two three years down the line. Yeah, but if he doesn't have a good first season, he might not be here next year. So yeah, let's hope that like we've seen with goaltenders, tons of like Jack Campbell. I think I tweeted out he had played two games when he was Sam Sonon's age, two NHL games. I think one was a start <laughs> and one was like a relief appearance. That's it. That's that's so crazy considering he was a first rounder. Another first rounder, right? So we've yeah. seen plenty of goalies, not just Campbell, but a lot of goalies will tend to break in the league later it's a longer process we rarely see goalies like come in as 18 i don't even remember the last one even 19 is a bit unheard of um so they typically don't make it until like 21 22 23 and then you know they might not break out till 25 26 it's a pretty normal common development path let's hope this is the breakout season I'm sure washington will be pissed if <laughs> this is the year he puts it all together um but yeah it's definitely an upside play it is just a little bit more short-term risk, I would argue, given that he has struggled in the last couple of years. Yeah. Let's, um, what are we at here? We're at about 40-ish, 50-ish minutes. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to talk about? I wanted to play a quick game with you just regarding the, the lineup, but anything else that we haven't touched upon yet? I just want to get into Murray quick. Um, so, obviously, we talked about it already on the last episode, but I think we've had a little bit more time to reflect um so i see this as i don't know i just think the overreaction has been a bit much i'm not saying you have to like the trade but like it's not i think with goaltending in general everyone has to just like calm down in terms of their confidence level right like last off season everyone was praising nivelkovic like that acquisition everyone was praising uh seattle's goaltending with grubauer Dreger. and then you look at you know 
I, I went back and looked at the reaction when Frederick Anderson signed, and it was like just a, a nightmare. Like you would have thought the Hurricanes were the dumbest team alive. And just with Murray, like I think one way I look at it is just the Murray versus Mrazek because moving Mrazek's really what started the Murray thing. Uh, you, I don't think they could have afforded both. Um, so you look at like what's gone in, what's gone out. The picks moving for twenty five to thirty eight versus getting a third and a seventh. I don't think it's all that significant. I guess the question is, would I rather have Matt Murray for one million more than Mrazek, right? And I think the answer is yes, given you know a little bit more of a track record in terms of uh, when he was at his best. Uh, the second half for Murray was very strong versus the, the second half for Mrazek was very weak. Uh, and I think the other thing is is health. I trust Murray to be much more uh, healthier. I know everyone looks at the games played. Uh, he had a concussion in April, Murray, which is when Zaitsev ran into him. But other than that, he was pretty healthy all year. He missed a week at the start of the season. The other, why he missed time was COVID, right? And getting sent to the AHL. Those aren't injuries. So I think, you know, given that they did their homework on the concussions, I have more faith in Murray's health than Mrazek's. And I just think I have more faith in him stopping the puck after a strong second half than what I saw with Mrazek. It kind of reminds me of the McCann trade from last year where, you know, they get tons of credit for the first trade and then, like, they lose a lot of that on the by losing him in the expansion draft. But if you look at the net, it's still a bit of a positive. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to talk about was just the Toronto versus Buffalo uh, deals, right? So you saw the the deal for Buffalo. My guess is that Toronto had to pay, pay a bit of a premium. Like, I don't think if you're Pierre Dorian, you want to trade him to Toronto. Um, if, you know, let's say it's close, right? Like, Matthews could get hurt for 30 games. Like, if Matt Murray has a good season, it could be the difference between Toronto making it and Ottawa missing, right? So I do think there was a bit of a premium. I think they could have got rid of him for a second-round pick. Um, we're never going to know what the Leafs could have gotten him for. Like, what's the best deal? Like, could they have gotten 30% retention? Maybe. 35% retention? Maybe. Could they got a second instead of a third and a seventh? Maybe. I don't think they were ever getting that first. I don't think they were ever getting 50% retention. Um, I think the expectation after the Buffalo trade kind of soured things. But, you know, when I look at it and I go Murray versus Campbell versus Kemper versus Huso versus Talibut, I think it's a reasonable bet given the season he had last year uh, in, in terms of the second half. And I don't know. Did you see my thread on the, the Hurricanes versus Leafs? I did, but I don't. I remember seeing it. I don't know if I read it in depth, though. Okay. But so for, for any viewers that or listeners, I guess, that haven't, just, just go through it. Yeah. So last offseason, the Hurricanes traded Nadelkovich for like a third and then they signed two goalies basically for free out of free agency for two-year deals so anderson got two years at 4.5 and ranta got a two-year deal as well and cap wise it's almost identical like percent of the cap wise i think it's off by 0.1 what the leafs are spending this year versus what the canes spend on their goaltending and anderson was coming off an 895 samsonov had an 896 and then uh, Ranta had, I think, a 905. Murray had a 906 that previous year. Um, Anderson was coming off injuries. Uh, I think Ranta's very, very injury prone. So I think it's a little bit different in the fact that Carolina, you know, they had more established guys with injury histories. And I think the Leafs have younger guys, um, especially in Samsonov's case, with a cleaner bill of health. So a bit of a different risk. But it's very similar to what Carolina did. The Leafs added two picks in the process. 
um, a third and a seventh that could help him get out of the Murray deal. Uh, I was expecting the Leafs to give up assets in this deal for more retention. I know Dubas said um, the prices didn't seem worth it. Uh, I think that was my biggest surprise, that they didn't get a third team involved and the Leafs pay rather than be paid for taking on the contract. It's a little bit unusual for a contender to take on a bad contract for picks. Uh, but all in all, like I think if you put the initial expectations aside... I was kind of expecting a slight overpay for them to get a goalie, given the lack of options, but I didn't want to go the cheap route. Like, uh, I know people say goalies are voodoo, but man, like, I don't want to go Kevin Lankinen and Sam Sonoff, for example. Like, I, I like Murray more than that. Um, I just think if you go that route, too, it's very hard to change course at the deadline because you have no cap space for goaltending, right? If you're spending $2 million on goaltenders, $3 million on goaltenders... Good luck trying to get a goalie at the deadline. Um, you're going to need significant retention, and, and teams are going to have all the leverage because they know you're desperate, right? So, I don't know. I, I, I think it's – I would give it like a C- minus or a C, the trade. Like, I don't think the Leafs got crazy value, but I was kind of expecting that. Uh, and I kind of like Murray given his second half. I don't think he's as injury-prone as people are talking. I think there's a bit of a lazy narrative looking at the games played, not knowing that it was COVID and, and AHL. Um, but – I don't know, like, would you have given Campbell 5x5? Five five? Would you like no. Talbot more? Did you like Huso more? I, I don't I don't mind the Murray thing. I, and also, there was a episode, I think it was a week or two ago, actually it would have been a week ago, of 32 Thoughts, where Elliot Friedman said that there was a team that, that wanted Murray and that there was an offer on the table for Murray that was at 25%. So, like, it's not like the Leafs were the only team that you know, wanted Murray or I, I know I saw that out there that like, like, like the Leafs were the only one that wanted Murray. There was another team there that, that had 25% on the table. And uh, apparently according to Friedman, like Ottawa was only willing to go with 25%. Like they didn't go anything over the trade with Buffalo was 25% retention. And then also with the Leafs and with that, that other team there. So um, to me, like I, after hearing that, I, said it was like probably like a B minus. I think having Murray, I think people are kind of glossing over the fact that he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. Like usually I would not, like usually when I hear things like that, it's it's usually paying for a guy like like Dave Boland or something like that. But I think we, we sometimes make a big deal out of Stanley Cup champions when kind of the narrative follows. But here it just seems like it's something that's glossed over. Uh, but he was very good in those in those playoff rounds. I don't know if there's another goalie that's like that that was available that has had like a very good playoff history. Again, I don't really put too much into it, but I also don't think that that's something we should just gloss over. Um, and he's had a, he had a pretty good season last year despite the small sample. So I'll give it like a B minus or a B given just the the goaltending situation in general and the fact that there was another team that also wanted Murray for twenty five percent retention. Yeah, I do buy that that what Friedman said obviously I'm not ever one to doubt Friedman but like given what the <laughs> given what the Leafs gave up to get out of Mrazek like I do think Ottawa would get out of that contract with 25% in a second and I think if I'm Dorian I'd rather give up you know if, if it's two similar deals on the table I'm making Toronto pay more um there's no way I'm trading a goaltender to Toronto when they're that desperate um 
I, I don't think buying out Murray was ever an option. It just didn't ever make sense. Uh, it would have been about $2.5 million of savings per year, and I just don't think that's enough I, Like in terms of the net difference. Um, in, in terms of, you know, I thought Campbell 5x5 didn't really like it. Really, the, the question with Murray is how you see last year. Like, he was basically the goalie. It's, I, I won't call it goalie of the month. I'll call it goalie of the month and a half um at the end of the season like he was he looked back to his old self he's one of the best goalies in hockey and i know it's a very small sample and you know people think you're nitpicking but um he wasn't like it's really the one ottawa year um where he had a bunch of injuries obviously that wasn't great and then he had one bad stretch the year before with his last year in pittsburgh but if he is back there's a lot of upside here i think it's kind of similar to the john gibson situation Uh, i would say a little bit less upside than that but also a lot less risk because gibson had significant term i think if if the murray tryout doesn't work they can get out of that next offseason get out of it at the deadline kind of like what they did with nick ritchie they have two picks to help them do that uh the gibson situation you're not getting out of that contract easily if if gibson has a really rough injury played year right like that's a five-year term um you're kind of you're kind of stuck with it for two years or you're paying a fortune if it, if it goes wrong. So I do think it's a good way to minimize risk. Um, Huso is interesting. Three years, though, so it's an extra year of risk. Um, and then you actually have to give up a third rather than get one. So it's going to be, you know, the net impact, if it doesn't work out, it's going to be a bit more. Um, and then there's Cam Talibut, who some people all of a sudden, like I had him as a target for the Leafs, but there are some red flags there, right? Like the save percentage is good. But the goals saved above expected is really poor, and Minnesota's a really good defensive team, so it just depends on what you're looking at, I guess. But uh, I don't, I don't mind the Murray gamble. I think it's a pretty low risk move in the obviously in the long term. Uh, they just need to bank on one of those two goalies working out. Otherwise, they're going to have to, you know, definitely make a trade by the deadline. I'd say. Yeah, well, um, that that's actually a pretty good segue. You're, you're good with the segues today. Nice. Uh, into the game here. I'm just going to give you two players, and then you tell me what's going to be higher. So let, let's start with the goalies. Samsonov versus Matt Murray. Who is going to play more games for the Leafs this year? I'll go Matt Murray. I think he's I think he's the starter, given what they are paying him versus Samsonov. Okay. Um, and I, 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 again, as I mentioned, I don't think this... Like, he was pretty injury-concerned his first year in Ottawa, but last year it was mainly covid and that going down the ahl that cost him games played so i'm not as concerned with his injury history as others and i do think the leafs brought him in to be the starter so i'm going matt murray yeah i'm gonna go murray too i think they're gonna give him at least like the majority of the first 15 to 20 games uh to be the starter but okay let's keep going here so who is gonna have more points nick robertson or nick obey kubel I'll go Robertson. Like, even if he plays less games, like, even if he doesn't make the team out of camp, he could still pass Kubel, right? Like, Robertson will be on the power play, maybe probably power play too, but I don't think Obey Cabell is going to be. Uh, I think Obey Cabell needs to either get a real chance in the top six or have a bit of a breakout season or just play, like, the only other option is um it's just a massive difference in games played but i think robertson's going to turn some heads and make the team out of camp that's my guess so i'm gonna i'm gonna take nick robertson 
I want to go Nick Robertson, but I also want to go Albe Cabell. I'm going to go Albe Cabell. Uh, just that five-on-five -five scoring last year. I know he played with Alex Newhook, but I do think he's going to be on the opening night roster. Nick Robertson, I'm not too sure. He was really, really good last year with the Marlies. Um, but I, I'm going to go Abe Cabell. I'm going with my gut here, but I'd be really happy. I think I think Robertson, obviously, like everyone wants to see him step up, and he was really good with the AHL. Like, I, I just want to see him stay with the Leafs, not get injured, and, and start to really kind of fulfill that potential. But still 20 years old, so I'll go with Abe Cabell. Uh, going to the next one here. It's a games played question there. For Robinson, yeah. really. Yeah. Next one here. We're going to go with Dennis Malgin. Or, oh wait, where we go here? Sorry, Dennis Malgin or Wayne Simmons. Who plays more for the Leafs this year? I'll go Wayne Simmons. I think Malgin's more likely to be on waivers. Like, Keith never really liked Malgin. Uh, I think Malgin is, like, underrated. Like, people hate Dennis Malgin. It's kind of funny. Like, the Leafs make a league minimum signing. Like, a guy that could easily just either make the team out of camp because he plays well or he gets sent to the Marlies. And people lose their minds. <laughs> like, people hate Dennis Malgin. And but you know why. I mean, there's obviously a, a clear tag to Mason Marchman. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. Like, it's not it's not Malgin's fault. I think the trade made <laughs> a fair amount of sense at the time. No one loved Mason Marchman at the time, like, in terms of those people. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I've got to still say Simmons because I think Simmons is going to play more games. And, uh, like, I, I still have no idea what they're doing with Simmons, but I think there's a, just a higher chance he's in the lineup than, than Malgin. Okay, this is going to be a, a kind of a, a three or four part question. Rank these four players in terms of games played for the Leafs Pontus Holmberg, Nick Aprizisi, Joey Anderson, Alex Steves. Okay, so Joey Anderson might get claimed on waivers. So that's my biggest issue with him. I don't think he's so going to make last? the team. Under... <sighs> I haven't seen enough Holmberg, so I'm not going to go Holmberg first. Um, Abruzzese did not look great. Let's put it that way. Like I think he was only up because they probably like promised him NHL minutes when he signed. Um, and then... I'm gonna say Alex Steves gets the most. I thought I thought he looked okay. Like he's a good skater, fairly well-rounded player. Let's go Alex Steves first. Let's go. I guess Abruzzese second, Holmberg third, and then I'll go Anderson last, just because I'm worried about waivers. Maybe he makes it through and gets some call-ups, but they're also quite strong on the right side, right? Like Obi Cabell, Martyr Nylander, and then uh, Simmons. Engvall can play that side. Yarncroke is probably best positions right wing so i'll say anderson last i guess but that could go that could go anyway i that way that could go anyway like i, I could probably talk myself into thinking holmberg is like top two maybe um i think you went with the safest bet i think alex steves who just was really good with the ahl last year I, I thought he was okay with the leafs when he came up in a very small sample but i think that's the safest bet uh, is alex steves so i'll go with that too I'll go with the fun pick in, in Pontus Holmberg second, Abrazisi, and then Joey Anderson last. I I don't know. Joey Anderson is just pretty good goal scorer in the AHL. I just don't know what capacity he plays in the NHL, like as an everyday NHLer right now. Um, maybe a shutdown role? I don't know. But we'll see. Okay, a couple, 
Couple more. Let's go a with... couple more guesses. Oh, you got more. I got oh. one more. One more. Okay. This one's an easy one. This is just Victor Mete. Or where did he go here? Or uh, Jordy Ben. For games played. Games played. Yep. I'll go. I'll go Jordy Ben because I think if they make a trade, I think Ben's going to be the seventh. That's the guy that sits in the press box. Um, but again, that's that's I got no clue. Let's let's call it put it that way. <laughs> that's that's why this is fun. So yeah, I'll, I'll go Jordy Ben as well. Okay, yeah, that one could go either way too. I guess it depends what they need. Um, we'll see who they trade. I think if Justin Hall gets traded, then Jordy Ben probably sticks around as a guy that can kill penalties if they need an extra defenseman. Um, so that's why I think I think uh, I'll go that way just because I think Hall has a better chance of getting traded than someone like Sandine. And if Sandine gets traded or something like that, then maybe Met I'd change my guess to Mete. So we'll go we'll go Ben for now. But a couple more uh, a couple more questions for you here. What team will Matthew Kachuk get traded to? <laughs> Oof. It's so funny with Matthew Kachuk because we go through 364 days of the year where we talk about how the Leafs have absolutely no cap. And then a guy like Matthew Kachuk goes on the market and it's like all of a sudden the Leafs are about to take on like a 9 or $10 million player um, and just trade the whole team for him. But so I definitely don't think he's going to be traded to the Leafs. I don't even think the Leafs are going to be part of that conversation. I will say, I'll say St. Louis. That is his hometown, right? Well, that's where Keith played, yeah. So that's where I Keith think... played. So I'll go St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, Keith played a lot of places, but I think St. Louis was the main one. I do think that's where uh, they grew up. I got to go to Jersey. I think they were close to Gaudreau. Um, That'd and be cool. They have, Jes- they have Jesper Bratt, who I don't know if that negotiation is going well. Maybe just do a, like, a flip. Obviously, New Jersey would have to add. They have Luke Hughes. I don't know if you want to trade up with Jack there. They have Dawson Mercer, Alexander Holtz. Uh, you know, lots of lots of options. David Severson is going to be their third defenseman on the right side and only has one year left. Um, I don't know exactly how it would work, but I think I think New Jersey. But the problem is, Nick, is that the East keeps getting better and better. Like we saw Goudreau come East. Um, Kadri might come East. Uh, it's It seems like the West keeps getting worse and worse. So it's going to be, to break out another one, um, it's going to be a little bit interesting here. I think we're going to have a more interesting playoff picture, certainly, than we did last year. I think the Atlantic is very interesting because, to me, I know Sorelli's going to miss the beginning of the year. Um, I can't remember who else, but one other decently good player on Tampa Marsh- is be missing. Well, Marchand on, uh, on yes. Boston. On Boston, they're, they're missing a few guys for like half the year. Marchand's going to miss at least 25 to 50% of the year. And then Ottawa got better, Detroit got better. Um, Buffalo, I guess, got better. So, and Montreal is probably going to be in the basement again, as they are probably planning on it. So, Florida is going to be pretty good, I guess. But so to me, like, I think the Atlantic probably has like the Leafs and Tampa at the top, and then kind of the spots under that, I think, is is pretty much up for grabs. So, I I think it'll be interesting to see. I don't think Ottawa is like a top three Atlantic team by any stretch of the imagination, but. I could definitely see them get into the wild card spot, um, like with some pretty good goaltending. Yeah, even the Leafs could be on the bubble if there's a big injury, right? Because they're pretty top heavy. Um, like if if Marner or Matthews got hurt, it would 
really set them back. And then the goaltending is a bit of a question mark. So I don't know. It's going to be an interesting year. Let's put it that way. Um, last question before we get out of here. It's a prediction. Will Alex Kerfoot, so we're recording Wednesday night, will Alex Kerfoot get traded in the next seven days? So we'll say next Wednesday at 11.59, will he be traded by then? I'm going to go yes. For the for the drama, I'll say yes. The, the quicker that they can get Sandine done, the better. So I'm hoping Sandine's done in the next seven days, so I'll say yes. Okay, I'll go yes as well. I don't know what's going on right now with Kadri not signing, Niederreiter not signing. We got this Kachuk trade we're waiting for. I think every general manager is on vacation or something. But I do think that in the next seven days, Kerfoot's getting traded. So hopefully we'll have another podcast soon when we can break down that trade. I'm, I'm, you know what, Nick? I'm giving it 90% Kerfoot's traded now. I'm going to just keep going up as this podcast goes. But thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see everyone soon.